Hello, I'm Will Leach, and welcome to the People Still Read Books podcast. Hope you're well. We have two more shows, counting this one, the rest of 2020, and then uh, gonna take a break until the big push comes in January. Not just for my book, How Lucky, available for pre-order from HarperCollins right now, comes out in May, but also, um, you know, for everything. There's vaccines coming. Some people are getting vaccines already. William Shakespeare got a vaccine. Got to do a lot to get a vaccine, apparently. Got to be the bard. Anyway, this week, one of our last two shows, I'm delighted to have Tara Ariano and Sarah D. Bunting, authors of the new book, a very special 90210 book, 93 absolutely essential episodes from TV's most notorious zip code, Tara and Sarah are longtime purveyors of the old Television Without Pity website. They host the Extra Hot Great website with David D. Cole, and they're just awesome. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? Uh, Tara and uh, Sarah, 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 excuse me, Tara and Sarah are longtime. Uh, I've been long readers of work for a very long time. I actually don't w- never watched Beverly Hills 90210, but as you'll see in the conversation, that did not stop me from enjoying this book. If anything, I learned that I actually liked that 90210 <laughs> this entire time and did not know. Remind you, as always, to follow us, me, <laughs> on Twitter, at Still Read Books Podcast. Email me, us, whoever, people still read books at gmail.com if you'd like to have one of your listeners or authors or whatever to come on the show. And next week, we have one more show. We're going to end it with David Wallace Wells, my editor at New York Magazine, and author of the book, The Uninhabitable Earth, about how we're all going to die. <laughs> so here's a little Beverly Hills 902 on a one book to cheer you up before we all get moving. Uh, be safe. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. And here is Tara and Sarah. It is my honor, delight, pleasure, warmth, mirthful feeling to have the authors of a very special 90210 book, 93 Absolutely Essential Episodes from TV's most notorious zip code, Tara Ariano and Sarah D. Bunting, my longtime, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say we're podcast cohorts, but it's been my delight to be a guest on your podcast many times. Thank you for coming on mine. Hello. Hello. Okay, so hi Tara. Hi. Well, hello. So uh, okay, so here is a. I I I have to let you know. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned this to Sarah when we were on earlier uh, when we talked uh, before the show. Um, this is uh, first off two things. One out of all the books I've had on the show, this is the only one that uh, anyone in this house has had any interest in reading. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Uh, and two, uh, my dirty secret is, I think I've mentioned this to you uh, all before when I was on your show, I did not watch Beverly Hills 90210. I watched Melrose Place uh, and and only sparring. We got very into it for like one year. This time I got like into Joe Millionaire for that first year. And like, mm-hmm. I feel better about Melrose Place in retrospect. Uh, but more to the point, um, it was amazing to me then because I, I felt like, okay, this will be good. I know this is a big thing. But uh, uh, obviously, this book is not really for me, but I, I know people will love it. And then I started flipping through it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I remember this. I'll be darned. And uh, I feel like that's very telling, the idea that I don't really feel like – I don't remember ever watching any of these shows, but I know specifically what happens in all of them. So obviously, I saw them <laughs> at some point or absorbed them through the culture in some way, yeah. shape, or form. And I'm curious, like, uh, obviously, this is based off – you know, this is originally inspired by the podcast you guys did, you've all done, and all this work you've all, you've all done. But I'm curious, is that something that you found that this is a show that just became with su- such a part of so many people's childhood, childhood and adulthood and adolescence for so long that that they just they couldn't like miss it even if they tried. 
Maybe. (laughs) You know, we like having um, met the two of us, me and Tara on a bulletin board, Mm -hmm. (laughs) ask your grandparents, (laughs) um, devoted to 90210 and to recaps of it. you know, it's it's hard for me to say what the the wider experience of the show was because it is running like a um, disaster ticker underneath <laughs> my entire career. Um, but there's, let's just say, specific to the oh yeah, I remember this point that um, we definitely renamed the the chapters like you know the the one where Donna Martin graduates, e.g., um, d- because. People remember more than they think they do, but an episode title or an episode number is not going to help them. So you know, Dead Scott has to be in has to be in uh, chapter titles and and so on. But uh, yeah, I don't like Tara. Maybe you have a different report on that, but it, it's hard for me to say. Yeah, um, I I definitely watched it when it was on. I was the age of the characters when it started, and then. Um, when they repeated the eleventh grade, I was a year older than than they were. Um, but uh, <laughs> congratulations, <laughs> thank you. Um, so uh, yeah, I kept up with it very devotedly for certainly the high school years and like the early part of the college years. But uh, but after that, I mean, I think it is definitely in in people's like it's just in the cultural consciousness because once it was on, it was it was never really off TV, and it still isn't. It's still on in syndication. It's on pop TV. Like, if not every day, it's certainly on several times a week in in various programming blocks. So I think people have experienced it in waves. <laughs> and, you know, it's just it's it's one of those shows that has just always been on, like for a certain kind of viewer who doesn't care about, you know, reruns of Law and Order or Bones, like it's what you would turn to instead. And it's easy to find. It's just it's it's around and it's been around for 30 years. Yeah, and listen, you are talking to someone who owns a copy of the Television Without Pity, 752 Things We Love to Hate and Hate to Love About Television, on my shelf. Oh, you're the one. Yeah, please. (laughs) Hey, hey, listen, if we're going to play the Who Sold Less Books game, uh, please come on over. (laughs) No, we're not. We're not going to play that game. It's not a fun game. No one likes that game. It's a very sad game. This is antithetical to the whole idea of this podcast, really. (laughs) Um, but, uh, obviously I've been a fan of you, uh, of you for, for a long time and remember television pity. And one of the things that I've noticed people have read this book that maybe don't go back that far there, they, there's almost this level of surprise of like, wow, they know, they recognize that the show's bad in a lot of ways, but they truly love it. That's weird. How could these two things hold, <laughs> hold, uh, hold things in, hold be in the same brain. And for me, that seems like the whole ethos of really, uh, not just television pity, but what you have all been doing for a long time is that like, sure, there, there's a lot of stuff and I, you, you go back and look at some things that would, we'll call, um, problematic, uh, perhaps from, uh, from, from the 90210 time, but, there's still clear affection uh, to me reading this uh, fr- from both of you. Watching these shows again, 20 to however many years later, did it, did you feel that affection while watching it? Or did you have to conjure up that affection after experiencing it 25 <laughs> years later? It's definitely a different experience watching it in, you know, middle age. <laughs> I was watching it as a 15-year-old, obviously. And there are certainly things that you notice differently when you watch it having, you know, been a TV critic than than as a high school student 
I assume that's obvious as well. But yes, that residual love is still there. <laughs> and you're absolutely right that, you know, even even as a teen, you recognize the things that were wrong with it and the things that it got wrong and the things that it was dumb about. But, you know, I think the analogy that Sarah has used before is that, like, you love it like a family member. Uh-huh. Where it's like, it's... It, you, it's ours to make fun of. You know? like, we <laughs> yeah. recognize its faults, but like we still, we still have that residual like you know fondness, and you know you just want to like chuck it under the chin, like no, oh, you idiot, come here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the feeling that I have for the show. Still, I mean, less so in the later years when it really just should not have continued to exist. But the the, the when it was firing on all cylinders. Um, yeah, even the, even the parts that are problematic, you kind of try to not notice as much because the soapy elements work so well. Yeah, I, I think that's right on. I mean, like any other family member, uh, like there's love is sort of accepting faults, um, <laughs> <laughs> as as we all know. So, but it's also like it, you you expect better, like a big television without pity thing from some people who didn't necessarily really buy into what we were doing was like, well, why do you watch this stuff if you hate it so much? Like, well, but we don't hate it and we don't want to hate it is is the point. Like we we love TV and we love, you know, even bad trashy TV and especially Beverly Hills 90210, like that sort of familial fondness. It's like, you know, you sometimes make me want to kick something, but we are hoping for better always. So there is a there is a certain optimism there, she says, <laughs> with a question mark. But I do think there's something to like television working so well, right? Like, like listen, I, I think of like, we've been in the age of like prestige television for us getting away a little bit now. But the idea of, you know, ostensibly, uh, I think it's hard to make the argument that a show like, I don't know, Boardwalk Empire, for example, is not like more like quote unquote better than Beverly Hills 90210. But I would watch 30 Beverly Hills 90210 episodes before I would watch like two of Boardwalk Empire. God, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and I'm curious about like what what is it about a show like Beverly Hills 90210 or, or like those sort of shows that are ostensibly like not good to any stretch of the imagination, but are so inherently watchable in a way that those shows like Boardwalk Empire are just so impossible to get through. Is there a special alchemy to what 90210 does? You both have written about television for so long. Is there something that they've tapped into, or is there something unique about this show that makes it just so not compelling is not the right word, but certainly Mm -hmm. just compulsively, like I can't, like if it's on, you watch it even if you don't care. It feels like that's gonna there's gonna be some level of skill in that. I, I mean, I would posit that the um, not caring is is the is one of the keys. Um, <laughs> and Tara, if you want to elaborate on this, you can feel free. But I think you know you don't have to pay the closest, most religious attention to Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. Like it, it's not going to feel like homework. Which, having covered Boardwalk Empire on a granular level in the past, <laughs> that really did feel like I didn't dislike the show, but it it really did feel like, you know, I, I liked history classes, but it, sh- <laughs> it shouldn't necessarily feel like a class. Beverly Hills 90210 is not that sort of beautiful, filmic, whatever, but then at the same time, your commitment to it 
feels less onerous, perhaps. And, you know, also, if you're a teen girl who thinks one of the leads is cute, then there you go. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's like, you know, apples and bootleg bourbon. I I don't know. <laughs> like, Tara, do you think there's other reasons why that's true? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there, it's probably an unfair comparison, 90210 versus Boardwalk Empire. Obviously, I know what you were doing. <laughs> well, I know. I, know, I think I know. those are, you know, those are different shows that are trying to do different things. And what makes a show like Boardwalk Empire so, I won't say loathsome, but it <laughs> makes it so unsatisfying when it's done badly is that you know what it was aiming for yeah, and you see where point. it fell short. Whereas with a soap, you know, even if it is not your favorite soap ever, you're like, all right, like, <laughs> you know, it's it's filling a different niche for you where it, so that even if it's not hanging together perfectly in every plot line, which they almost never do even when they're really good, it's fine because that's not what you need it for. That's not what you're watching it for. And like... Last to give you an example from our own time, as opposed to thirty years ago. Last week, two shows premiered: Stylers with Jenna Lyons and Your Honor. On these were on HBO Max and Showtime, respectively. Very different shows. I reviewed them both for Primetimer.com. One of those was infuriating in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was like dying for it to come out from under embargo because I was like screaming through every episode like this is so misbegotten. Everyone has to watch this show. And the other one was Your Honor, a terrible, boring, like really poorly conceived, like perfect hate watch for everyone who is like, oh, no, the undoing is over. Like if you were mad about that and you needed something to replace it in, <laughs> that is going to exactly scratch that itch. That's what your honor is for, because it's like all of the cliches of prestige TV done badly, whereas Je Stylish with Jenna Lines is like a fashion-y competition show that's like just completely oblivious about what it's doing in like the most enjoyable hate-watchy way. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> the same sort of thing. It's like the Jenna Lines is the 90210. Your honor is, is the Boardwalk Empire. If Jenna Lyons, the show lasts... 50 seasons i will never miss an episode i'll watch it until that bitch is in the ground like i loved every second i spent hating it so much and i feel like that's what people feel about soaps a lot of the time that's a long answer to your question okay so put it a different way then what is it about 90210 what did 90210 have that like i don't know the heights or one of those other, like, one of the crappy ones, right? Like one of those, or the Dynasty reboot or so on. Like, right. what, what is it about 90210? Is it just the casting? Is it charismatic people, actors? Is it is there is there something that it just the zeitgeist of what it hit? What is it that made this particular soap stand out that maybe other soaps didn't? Oh, okay. Well, it's definitely the casting for sure. There was like, the casting chemistry was really lightning in a bottle and that cannot be discounted. But it also came along at a time when... Like there just was not that much segmentation in the audience. And I can tell you from having like recently revisited teen magazines of that time, like it was <laughs> it was such a youth quake moment. Like there just was nothing else like it on TV at the time. And even though the Heights and other shows that were similarly targeted to teenagers were were contemporaneous, like it they didn't have that same wish fulfillment element that was also key to what made 90210 so compulsive. And 
as Sarah already said, like the cute boy element, it's it's big. It's real big. And like Jamie Walters is probably some people's jam, but like whatever. And also there's only one of him. Whereas like there's you had a, a much you had a greater variety of cute boys on 90210. And there were different ones coming through at various in various, you know, one offs uh from episode to episode two. Like they really they knew what they were doing. Like I, I feel like Tori Spelling's influence on her dad and the casting decisions like probably should not be discounted either. Sarah, what do you think? Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think that, it, you know, I watched this series premiere in my freshman dorm room or like down the hall from my freshman dorm room. And it's like there wasn't anything else like this that was, quote, for us. Um, was it ham-handedly done? Did they have, uh, yes, did they have to sort of revise their, um, mo from a more like highlights magazine special episode format to soapland yeah they did did they do that expertly yeah they did because let's not discount aaron spelling either like who made better pringles tv than that guy <laughs> not, not a lot of people so he like it is it you know, is he going to win a Nobel Prize for this? No, but not everybody needs to win a Nobel Prize to contribute to the culture. So th there was definitely the sense when this came on that it was something new and something very specific um, to this youth quake that was sort of waiting to happen, like Tara said. Um, but I think that the thought at the time also was that it was probably doomed and <laughs> it didn't do well in the ratings the first year. And then it got really spellingized and the rest, as they say, is history. But it, yeah, there just wasn't it, looking back at it now. It looks like, oh, this is so cheesy. Oh, this is so you know, like there's so much indicating this acting is bad. What's with all the acid wash? But like, <laughs> you know, this is the sine qua non of the WB and the CW and uh, and many, many other things. So, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure that answers your question, but no, we tried. No, you did great. Uh, that's a um, answer question I didn't even have, which is wonderful. Um, do you uh, actually? I love that kind of last thing you talk about, though. That it's very key to remember that, like now, again, this is all bathed in weren't we all so silly? And this and this is a silly show, but I mean. I remember people taking this stuff pretty seriously when it came out. I mean, they may have loved it, but they may have thought that was silly. But like, I mean, Shannon Daughtery was always having some sort of big, <laughs> big blow up or something. And, oh, yeah. and, I, and I and and I and it's fine to think that like now maybe she doesn't look back on it with amusement, but most people I think can look back on an amusement. And it's and I know this is a lot when Luke Perry died. The the response to him while people may have been watching like oh Luke Perry Dylan he was uh, he he was he was uh, wasn't I so silly? But the actual effects I think part of it may have been because Luke Perry from all accounts was a really good guy, but. It's certainly the emotion that people had to Luke Perry's death, to me, spoke not just to, obviously, the character him, but really to the show and how much it had meant for so many people. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's different the kind of crush you have on a TV character, too. <laughs> like, it's not like having a crush on a boy in a band because those sort of come and go. But like Dylan was on our TVs for years and, you know, he left and did tried to do a bunch of other stuff and then came back. People don't remember that, but he did. <laughs> he came back to the show in the later years, too. Um, so I think, like, he imprinted on a whole generation of people in a way that they 
probably were not even like consciously aware of even until he died. Yeah, I think we weren't aware of it necessarily (laughs) until it was like, I, I mean, I would not, I think if you had told me that my response would be like, Oh no. Like yeah. I just sort of like just deflated. But I mean, we I think we did imprint on him whether we realized it or not. And um finding out after the fact what a good egg it- he was, like every now and then you sort of like see him in something else, like um whatever, like a Hallmark movie where he's playing a western star who's like now trying to run a ranch. And you're like, oh, man, like he really did have a pretty good sense of humor about himself. And when he was not in the BH90210, whatever that was, and they're all talking about him in that scene on the plane, like you you actually you feel it again, like it was a family member, this sort of distant cousin that you were like, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. It's it's fine now. You know we are. There's a uh, every, everyone has their their specific thing. Now there's the Saved by the Bell uh, reboot that people I've not seen, but people tend to like it. People tend to think that it's not so bad. Um, now Tony did that a little bit, and uh, but perhaps less successfully. Though again, I uh, <laughs> did not see it. But uh, from all accounts, I think a lot of it too, and it seems to be like a lot of the Saved by the Bell reboot is is well written, but also it seems to be boosted by the fact of the very healthy attitudes that everyone, or I can't imagine Mario Lopez having a healthy attitude about anything. Well, but yeah. certainly for the sake of this discussion, it certainly seems like people have a healthy attitude looking back at the show and the kind of experience with it. And uh, is that the case? Like, why did the the reboot stuff not work so well for nine hundred two one zero? And do they and have we exhausted? Like, is this book the end, or is there one more like nine hundred two one zero push coming? Uh, if if enough people get involved in it, well, I mean, Jenny and Tori have a podcast now where they're <laughs> watching the show, so <laughs> I don't know what they're trying to turn that into. I mean, they have said. Like, after the show got canceled, they were like, this may not be the end of the line. And I don't know if they meant, like, the podcast was the next step. That that could be. I, I can't imagine that Fox would bring it back the show in any kind of form after the failure of the revival. I mean, I I did watch all of the Saved by the Bell, the, the new one, and it is really funny. <laughs> like, it really is. And I'm not a Saved by the Bell person either. I never watched that show. But it's it's very good, and and it's what the nine hundred two one zero show should have been. Like it's the version that's what they should have done instead of this weird, like complicated meta thing. That when you try to even explain to anyone what it is, it's so confusing. Like it's so needlessly complicated what they did. I won't even try because you're it's going to bore your listeners. <laughs> so dumb and overwrought what they what they did instead of just Saved by the Bell, where it's like it's a sequel and there are new kids and the old people are here too and we also see their their stories like it's not that's what it should have been with yeah. the sense of humor it worked for degrassi it's really not that complicated i mean yeah there were things in the reboot that were interesting and sort of funny and in the places where they could have a sort of sense of humor about the show in its original incarnation they tried to do that but i think you have a lot of people in that cast who just have no sense of humor about anything. Yes. Brian Austin Green. Jenny Garth. So I, I think there were a lot of things that they couldn't do. But then there's a whole sequence where they basically like go 
to you know jamie walters is like playing in a bar somewhere and they basically mm-hmm. all go to on this like mission of forgiveness <laughs> it's really weird <laughs> but it's also like uh, okay what like who is this for yeah so I mean, I think that there will always be a market, which Tori Spelling, since she has all the children, has wisely identified as an income stream (laughs) that, uh, you know, for sort of like ancillary product like this and like our book, uh, (laughs) which knows a lot more about the show than Jenny Garth does. But uh, (laughs) but, yeah, I don't – I wish they had taken the Saved by the Bell approach because that would have at least – had some internal coherence, but yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to see, I don't think we're going to see on TV anyway. I don't think we're going to see anything else. And Luke Perry is not present. So it's, it's difficult to proceed. Okay. uh, A couple more things before I I get to the question I ask everyone at the end of every show. So be prepared for that one. Uh, As, as, as as loyal listeners, I'm sure you obviously can recite it by hand, by art, (laughs) uh, by this point. Uh, But I'm curious, um, Going back, I mean, obviously, you go through all the episodes. There's so many fun things. I love the section where uh, where the finances of the Peach Pit are bewildered. Thank you so <laughs> much for saying that. I worked on that for a really long time. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. It's so like, and to me, that's one of the fun parts of the book is that like it's you, you can go into the minutia of like that and then and then recognize the joy of it. I'm curious, going back and doing it, obviously for the podcast, one of the ones you talked about and, and for the show, is there something that you learned about the show? that you had forgotten or was there an episode that jumped out at you? What was the main, having gone through and watched everything again, was there something that you remembered differently? I'm curious, was there a thing that, that your memories of your youth betrayed you dramatically to the point when you watched it now, you're like, Oh, well that's, that's, I had that. I'm learning something more about the world. Having, having rewatched the piece for all these episodes. (laughs) Uh, for me, it's it wasn't so much that I remembered it differently. It was that my thinking about it changed and even changed compared to how we talked about it when we covered the episode on the podcast. But notoriously, yeah. toward the end of season five, when Jen, uh, Jenny Kelly is in a love triangle with um, Brandon and Dylan, and she she has to decide if she's going to marry Brandon or go on a trip around the world with Dylan, and she decides she's not going to do either and says – Again, notoriously, I choose me, which now she has a whole line of like hoodies that say I choose me on them. <laughs> I ranked on her. <laughs> and the design for them, and of them is like so fugazi. Why is the me in the armpit? Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> I don't know. But someone was like, I might buy them anyway. And then I was like, I might too. Anyway. I might three. But still, it's fugazi. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> That's beside the point. So when we talked about it on the podcast, I was like, this is a betrayal of how soaps work. You can't not resolve the love triangle. That's that's the point of love triangles. But then when I when I watched it again for the book, I was like, no, this is bullshit. She's right. Like the both of them are putting this pressure on her. She's not even dating one of them. Like this is completely ridiculous. This is emotional manipulation. She should not be with either of these guys right now or maybe ever. Fuck both of them. I choose me is the correct answer. I didn't see it then. I didn't even see it, you know, three years ago or whenever we did it on the podcast. And that is how I felt when we did it for the book. So that's that's my answer for that one. Um, I think mine was, I mean, uh, I agree with Tara's example. There were, I think, not a ton of things that um, I learned like during the during the process of writing the book versus like really getting into it for the podcast. But compared to the initial watching, like contemporaneously, 
the show's concept of how Brandon, the golden boy Walsh, is, you know, is presented and received versus <laughs> how he is received by two middle-aged ladies who <laughs> really don't think he is a liberal kind of guy and also think he should maybe ever take his sibling's side and should stop braying at people and should drink coffee by holding the handle of the coffee cup. He, I just think they had a very different conception of um, this, you know, goofus and gallant framework of issues that he was supposed to be representing the gallant side of. And he's actually deeply condescending, obnoxious, presumptuous, biased, short, <laughs> all that good stuff. Okay, my final question for you, and before I, before I do this, I really have to give a lot of shout out to Julie Kane, who does the illustrations. Yes, and Julie. they're fantastic. So I have good. to say, the book looks great. Like I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't have gotten that across, but the, the movie, the book really does look great, and it has, uh, it fits the, it fits what you, what you're trying to do. So it, it's kind of it really joy. is beautiful. We were so yeah. lucky to get to work with her. Such a so wonderful job. Yeah, Thank you for a, mentioning her. Oh, it's, it's so good, and I would like to say that. Uh, so, the, so I'm curious because it's also the book. Is it's just like it's it's hardcover book. It looks great. It feels good. It is it is a uh, on my shelf? I have a shelf of uh, books by people I know. Because when I was a kid, I just always wanted to know someone who had wrote a book. So I, have a, <laughs> I just literally have a shelf of book, and it is it is much prettier than David Wallace Wells' The Uninhabitable Earth <laughs> uh, to, to by, by like a substantial margin. Um, so the book looks great. So I'm curious when you got them. When you got them, this is the question I ask everyone. What did it feel like? Like, what was the everyone has the unboxing or the opening of their books, and when they get to see them for the first time, uh, what was it like when you, when you got to hold this thing in your hands for the first time? Tara, do you want to take that one first? I can if oh, you want. Was, uh, go ahead. Um, I I don't know. Like, I I still couldn't quite believe until I picked it up out of the box that they gave us a hardcover like i i know that's such a country come to town thing to say but <laughs> i just like and it it really does look beautiful it's this like sherbet colored uh i mean it's it's gorgeous and it's like you know we we made this thing the two of us and then they made it look so beautiful and i just remember being like but also it was quite a long process of writing the book and doing edits and then a pandemic interceded. So uh, here again was something where I didn't expect to have this sort of emotional response to it because it had been a long process, but I mean, it, it's really eye catching and I just felt very uh, proud and lucky to have gotten to do it. And also uh, proud and lucky to have gotten to do it with Tara. As always, uh, we've been working together half our lives and it's yeah. still the greatest thing that I ever did. I agree. Sarah is the easiest collaborator, the the greatest, the best. Um, I I felt the same. It was it it really was a long process. It was so many rounds of revisions. So I will admit, I did feel a tiny bit neurotic when I took it out. I was like, God, I hope we didn't miss any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. it was a lot, um, but uh, but I got it after we got the audio book CDs. Mine didn't. My my author copies didn't come until like kind of late, I think. 
Um, and so having like gone through it and then gone through it again and gone through it again and gone through it again and then read it aloud and then gotten the book a little <laughs> bit like, wow, I feel like I know you so well. <laughs> but get out. But, yeah. Seeing seeing the pictures, uh, you know, live was was definitely the most exciting part. Seeing the illustrations that Julie did and getting to pose my dogs with them was also <laughs> exciting because um, they are very photogenic. <laughs> they blend well with especially some of the color palettes that she chose. So that was fun too. The book is a very special 90210, excuse me, I'm going to say it correctly this time, a very special 90210 book, 93 absolutely essential episodes from TV's most notorious zip code. Illustrations by Julie Kane. You will not miss this book when you see it, and of course, written by Tarariano and Sarah D. Bunting, longtime friends. And again, you're you're speaking to a longtime reader and a longtime listener. So, uh, so thank you for chatting with me. Thank you for coming on, and everyone, uh, everyone, buy the book again. To repeat, I well, I guess I thought I'd never watched a 902 one episode, <laughs> and apparently, I knew everything that was going on in their lives yep. for three years, and and certainly rediscovered that reading this book. Uh, it's a great book. Thank you both for coming on and and yakking with me for a while. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Be safe, everyone. Uh, Ironically, the next week in the final guest of the year is David Wallace Wells, who wrote The (laughs) Unnatural So I will let him know. I hear his book looks like shit. It does, yeah. Oh, author rumble. Yeah. Uh, All right, everyone, have a wonderful week. Be safe out there. We'll talk soon. Buy the book. Very special. 90210 book. Tariano and Sarah D. Bunting. 